Mary Rose was an enslaved African woman in Canada, and the horrendous things that she faced while enslaved are largely undocumented and unknown, but yet the Canadian government praises her and uplifts her as a way to acknowledge that slavery happened here, while also using her as a shield to refuse to take steps towards reparations or accountability for enslavement. So why is that? And who is Mary? Hi, hello, what is up and welcome or welcome back to Girl You Haven't Heard, the podcast where we discuss true crime and Black Canadian history from a critical decolonial perspective, but above all else, without all the unnecessary propaganda that others love to include, but we hate to listen to. This is Black History Month edition, where every single day you get a Black History episode. So let's get into this one. So Marie was born in approximately 1717 to a family in West Africa, likely the area that we now know as Guinea. But as a teen or tween, again, not really known, ages are approximate, she was kidnapped from her family and forced into enslavement. What do we do? It is unknown if the rest of her family was also enslaved or if she was the only one. Like many other stolen enslaved Africans who were forced to come to Canada, not much is known about Marie's life pre-slavery Her birth name is not even documented, only her colonial name. This is especially frustrating because she is continually used as a prop by the Canadian government, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. There was absolutely no effort to document her general disposition or anything about her personality or individuality, just nothing. Notes about personality would only be highlighted if the enslaved individual was labeled as difficult, rebellious, or an escape artist. In 1736, Marie was purchased by Jean Chrysostome Lapineau, who was a French naval officer. The price he purchased her for is unknown. How he obtained her as an enslaved person is also unknown, and the exact date of her purchase is also unknown. Jean was stationed in Louisbourg, Cape Breton, when he purchased Marie, and this is where she would spend the majority of her life. At this point in time, there were about 350 enslaved stolen Africans in this small area alone. At approximately 19 years old, Marie was baptized in September of 1736, where her original name is taken and she was forcibly given the slave French name, which is all that we have to go by today. Disgusting! This whole practice is a large part of Canadian history and tradition as it relates to colonizing both Black and Indigenous peoples. In order to forcibly and violently assimilate Black and Indigenous people into white Christian society, they take their names, their cultures, and their identities, literally killing off who they were born as and molding them into who they want them to be. I hope that her true name will be uncovered eventually and we will not have to call her by this name, which is not really her own. At the time of her baptism, it is also very likely that she was branded, like physically branded, so people knew who she belonged to in case she ever escaped. Y'all make me sick. And if you're not sure, branding is just when you stick a hot metal object into a fire, you get it really, really red hot, and then you press it into the skin. It hurts badly. So while Marie was legally and morally considered property, she worked as a house slave. She was responsible for all of the cooking, the cleaning, the washing of the clothes, the scrubbing of the floors, and taking care of the 12 children in the Lapineau family. While enslaved, there were absolutely no efforts made to further her education, to teach her how to read or to write, to teach her basic math, or anything else along those lines. They just didn't care about educating her. When she was 21 years old, she became pregnant, and the father of this child is undocumented. 
when African women were enslaved, they were often raped by their owners or those who were related to the owners or just in close proximity of the owners. It is very likely that whoever did impregnate Marie did not speak up, or if they did, it was intentionally not documented. In 1738, she would go on to give birth to a little boy, but because she was enslaved and still considered property, her son was also enslaved and was given the name Jean-Francois. As soon as he was old enough to participate in the same slave duties as his mother, he was forced to. The colony of Louisbourg, where they were living, fell in 1745, so the Lapineau family took their musty selves back to Rochefort, France, and they forced Marie and Jean-Francois to go with them. This was super illegal because France had already outlawed slavery, but they didn't really care about enforcing it, so they were just like, whatever, we'll just look the other way because you're our people. Death to all of them. In 1749, the Lapineau family, along with Marie and her son, returned to Louisbourg. Why exactly they returned is unclear, as it's not documented. In 1751, at age 13, Jean-Francois, Marie's son, died. What he died from is also unknown because it was not documented. In 1755, at age 38, Marie was manumitted. Manumitted is also known as disenfranchised, so this is defined as the process of freeing enslaved folks from their enslavers. The reasons for doing so were complex, they're controversial, and they were intentionally not documented as a way to improve the enslaver's image and overall perception. So I want it to be expeditiously so clear that this process is not something that was typically done because the enslavers all of a sudden they felt bad about having enslaved folks and they wanted to give them their freedom as the Canadian governmental resources make it seem. That's not the reality. With a lie detector determined, that was a lie. Oftentimes, people were manumitted as punishment. So for example, if an enslaved person was not listening or they were disobeying, they would be quote unquote set free because the enslaver knew that without an owner, they would have a very low chance of survival as no one would hire them, or they would be enslaved by another enslaver who would treat them a lot worse than the original owner. So. This was a lose-lose situation. This was often done very publicly as a way to scare other enslaved folks into obedience. It was also often done when it was clear that the enslaved person was sick or near death, absolving the enslaver of responsibility and additional stress of taking care of the person who was supposed to take care of them. You don't find that suspicious. You don't find that suspicious. Or they did this when an enslaved person was of old age. Ugh, disgusted. So this was typically done for the same reason as previously mentioned before. It was basically just more of a hassle than it was worth for the enslaver to keep them around. But the ultimate reason for Marie's freedom is unknown, but she was absolutely now free and she was determined to make the most of her new life. So shortly after Marie became a free woman for the very first time in over two decades, in 1755, Marie met and fell in love with and actually married Jean-Pierre Baptiste Florent. Jean was an indigenous Mi'kmaq man who had also previously been enslaved and was also recently manumitted. They had this in common and they ultimately just wanted to live life to the fullest. In 1756, the happy couple rented a house together. In this same year, they realized that they needed to find work and go into business for themselves rather than working for someone else as they had been forced to do their entire lives. They opened an inn and a tavern, which is just an old-timey bar. It makes me think of Shrek. 
It was located at the corner of St. Louis Street and, and Place d'Arms. Shortly after opening, the news of their spot spread like wildfire, okay? Because everybody was talking about Marie and how well she could cook, how good she was throwing down in the kitchen, but also how delicious their brandy was that Jean was making. Oh! Their tavern was very well known and it was well loved. And it also had a very diverse clientele, okay? It was super popular and it was one of the first and only places where black, indigenous, and white people were welcomed and all treated fairly. And this was only a thing because Marie and Jean ran it and they ran it well. I know that's right! Marie became a part of the group of merchants in the area in which she was previously enslaved, which had literally never been done before. This was a testament to how hard her and her husband, but especially Marie, worked after being freed for like a whole five minutes. <laughs> Marie's accomplishments made her the first black woman in Canadian history to own and operate a business. All right, clap. This was especially impressive because she had been enslaved her whole entire life, but also, like I mentioned before, no one ever taught her how to read or write. So Marie was illiterate, but... She did most of her business independently. Now this was also extremely rare because everything was strictly and almost exclusively, aside from her of course, was run by men at this point in time, as it was illegal for women to do business on their own. Really? Wow, that's pretty sexist. But Marie said, I don't care. In 1756, only about two years after her life had truly started, she died. How she died is not known because it is undocumented. Marie was buried at the fortress of Louisbourg, and an inventory of her things were taken when she died. Now, homegirl had a lot of clothes, okay, like a lot of clothes. So when she was free and able to purchase and own whatever she wanted, she did just that. She had clothes of different materials and styles. She was an extremely stylish lady, and she refused to listen to the unwritten rules about what different races and economic classes were supposed to possess and wear. She didn't care. Now, in her possession, she also had a bunch of handmade soap, she had an iron, supplies for dyeing clothes, six pounds of sugar, and a cookbook, even though she couldn't read. She had it. In April of 2008, Marie was made a person of national historic significance by the Canadian government. In 2009, Parks Canada began a slavery tour at the Louisbourg Fortress, which highlighted Marie's life. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. In August of 2010, the minister responsible for Parks Canada curated a plaque in Marie's memory. On July 16th of 2011, Peter Kent, the minister responsible for Parks Canada, unveiled an exhibit to celebrate Marie. And during the presentation, he spoke up and said, The exhibit represents the immense perseverance of Marie Rose, a woman who with courage and dignity asserted her rights at a time where they were far from assured. And then had the caucasity to go on and say that her life serves as a reminder of both our nation's diverse heritage and freedoms we as Canadians enjoy today. Oh, Lord. Nothing new. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? What? This statement needs to be fully dissected. Like, what? How could? Oh, my God. It praises Marie for her accomplishments without recognizing or acknowledging that the government that he now represents was responsible for placing those difficulties there. Like it gives very much, if you work hard enough, you can overcome systemic barriers. 
energy, which is a common attitude amongst privileged white folks. And it's just one that isn't based in any sort of fact. Like, had her enslavers not freed her, had people refused to rent their spaces to her and her husband because they were black and indigenous, she would not have been able to accomplish all that she was able to accomplish. Like, this statement just so conveniently glosses over the fact that Marie was enslaved for basically her whole life in Canada, and she was legally held at that. There is complete failure to recognize that Marie's life and her rights were not assured due to racism, which was justified, and racism that allowed for enslavement to happen in the first place, racism that still affects Black folks on a day-to-day -day basis in a variety of ways in Canada. What's not clicking? Saying that Marie's life serves as a reminder of Canada's diverse heritage is disingenuous, okay? It does not at all acknowledge that she and many others who were brought to Canada through the transatlantic slave trade against their will, separated from their families, their identities, and their way of life. It doesn't acknowledge the reality of being a black woman in slavery, nor the general horrors of being enslaved, especially enslaved in Canada. Saying that her life serves as a reminder of the freedoms that Canadians enjoy to this day is dismissive, okay? Black folks are still subjected to systemic racism that can be traced back to the enslavement era, the era in which Marie lived in. This systemic racism is in healthcare, it's in education, it's in housing, it's in literally every area of life you can imagine. The Canadian government twisted history and continues to twist history to create a narrative that fits with the quote-unquote kind, tolerant, and positive country image that they're pushing by refusing to recognize the harsh realities of Marie's life, but also by cherry-picking the good things that she was able to accomplish in only her two years of freedom in her adult life. I want you to be so expeditiously, supercalifragically, espionadociously for real now. So we have now come to the part of the podcast where I give more of my thoughts, my feelings, and my opinions because I feel like I just did that for the last couple minutes. I think Marie was amazing. I think everything she was able to accomplish was absolutely amazing. I just wish more was known about her and her personality and what she was like, but also her husband and what his story was and what his life was like because they ended up in the same sort of situation and they were both, their names were stripped of them, like everything was just kind of taken. So I would have liked to know more about him and what the relationship was like, what that dynamic was like. Marie being the very first black woman to own a business in Canada is huge. It's monumental. And I'm sure it's something that a lot of people were against. Like even when we're talking about her and the history of what she was able to accomplish, there's no mention of the barriers that stood in her way. That's weird. And obviously there had to be barriers that stood in her way because enslavement was still going on. Like enslavement was, it was still happening. Like it was very much still happening around her. So to just gloss things over and the Canadian government to be like, good job, Marie, we, we love you. And now there's plaques dedicated to her. She's highlighted on a slavery tour. It just feels very disingenuous and just like a way for them to be like, see, we're upholding black history and we're acknowledging black history, but they're not really. I said what I said. They're not. They're just like, yeah, she was able to accomplish this and we're really proud of her as Canadians. But we're not going to talk about the years of enslavement that happened, the fact that her son died, the fact that her son was forced to be a slave, the fact that they don't say why she was manumitted, but the fact that she died two years after leads me to believe that they did this because she was of that age. She was possibly she was six when it was going on. So where they're like, eh, it's better if we just get rid of her. It wasn't like they did it of their own free will because they will they took her back and forth to France and Canada a couple times. So there's no way they're just going to give her up just because. I know I ain't crazy. 
I just, I can't stand the way that the Canadian government quote unquote recognizes, but they don't really recognize the way that they recognize sugarcoat and gloss over the real history and the atrocities that they're responsible for. And they just paint this like light and love view of things when we're literally talking about enslavement. Like one of the most horrific things to ever occur on a global scale. But yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. But thank you so much for learning about Marie, the first black woman to run a business and her very interesting life. I wish that there was more information out there about her. If you are watching on YouTube, then make sure to like the video and make sure to subscribe and hit that bell notification because I have an episode coming out every single day of Black History Month. And if you are listening on your favorite streaming platform, then make sure to rate the podcast. And also you can find links down below in the description to ways to support me, the podcast, and just the work that I'm doing. Consider becoming a patron because then you get early access to all of the content that is coming out. You also get additional benefits that are only available there. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you tomorrow.